Outlet Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Megan Cornwell. The Profile is brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian magazine. For a free sample copy, visit premierchristianity.com. Today on the show, I'm speaking to Sarah Corbett, founder of the Global Craftivist Collective and pioneer of the art of gentle protest. We sat down together to discuss her work using craft to change laws, policies, hearts and minds. Have a listen. Let's begin by talking a little bit about what you're best known for, which is the founder of the social enterprise, the Craftivist Collective. Mm-hmm. What on earth is craftivism <laughs> and how can we become a craftivist? Craftivism is basically craft plus activism so it was coined in 2003 by an american lady called betsy greer and i googled craft and activism in 2008 because i noticed by i was crafting on a train and i immediately noticed as a burnt out activist that the slowness could help me think more critically people were asking me what i was doing what i was message I was stitching and I thought oh I wish I was stitching something around social change to discuss it so I felt like a bit of an inkling that they could work together but if you google craftivism it literally could be anything so I always say it's good to think of it a bit like punk music where you've got so many different bands that sound so different um, but they're all under that umbrella of punk craftivism's the same so my approach I call gentle protest Mm. which has a very clear methodology and structure to how to use craft in the most effective way to help social change happen where everyone's part of the solution and no one's demonised. So what what sort of big um, social justice movements have you been part of um, and have you used your, your skills to, to bring about change? My mum jokes that I was an activist in the womb <laughs> because my kicking dad... Her. Kicking around because her and my dad would be part of lots of activist communities and groups. My dad's still the local vicar in a very low-income area of Liverpool um, with lots of different challenges and he loves his job and loves the community and my mum was a nurse and then a full-time mum and is now a local politician a councillor. She was a cabinet member and now she's a mayoral lead on equality and and ethical business. Um, So I was always part of local activism meetings whether it was on global issues like South Africa apartheid or whether it was on local issues like saving social housing or um, creating a health centre in the area when there wasn't one and my craftivism some of the projects that you can see on our website are specific to different issues so whether it's climate change or mental health and some you can use for your own issue whether it's global national or local so I try and create a mix where you can use the the tool of craft to help you be a a gentle protester. And you've worked with a lot of big name companies, so whether that's charities like UNICEF or The Times, Newspaper, Ben & Jerry's, The V&A. What project have you most enjoyed and why? Oh, it's a tough one. For me, they all have different strengths. And I'm, 
I'm lucky in lots of ways that I get lots of requests and actually I tend to have to be really brutal and say no to most things because you just don't have the time to do it all. So I tend to pick where I think I could be of most use and where and if someone I think could do a better job, I often send them someone else's way because I want to serve the cause and if someone can serve it better, then that's the right thing to do. So it really depends. It was... Amazing working with the V&A, the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, because I did a whole year of projects with them. So we linked in and we had big events, some big, some small for the public, somewhere we had hundreds of people um, and they'd be either linked to a particular time in the year, whether it was Refugee Week or whether it was a particular piece of artwork that they wanted us to link social change with. And what I loved is that their typical audience would come in of all ages. For come in, so you get very different people working together, discussing issues who might be of different faiths, different political persuasions. And we had one woman who came to our first workshop quite dubious and was like I don't know what this is really loved it we came to all of the others I think we had five throughout the year and everyone she brought her daughter or her mother or her friend because she really started to understand the power of craft to for that personal change to think about what you're doing as a consumer as a constituent as a as a colleague as a family member as well as what you could do um what others could do as well so I loved that But then, you know, working with Ben and Jerry's for a climate change march on a one-off event for 600 people who most of them had never been on a climate march before and we enticed them in with music and mindful colouring in and free Ben and Jerry's ice cream and we told them how important the march was in London how it wasn't scary and how they had lots of power to stand and say that they want world leaders to make a positive difference and then to see them go on a march wearing our green hearts on their sleeves um, was very transformational. What were the green hearts? Yeah, so... I um, was contacted by the Climate Coalition. Now, actually, I came up with the idea and then I told them that I was doing it and I'd like to link it with the Climate Coalition and then they took it on board as well. I think it was a bit of a mix of me asking them and vice versa. And it's about wearing a green heart on your sleeve and you write what you love. So whether it's chocolate or bluebells or your granddaughter or your teddy, um, you stitch the word of what you love. And while you stitch that word, I have craft of thought questions for people to reflect on on their own or in a group. And it's questions like, how would you protect this object, this thing from climate change? Because sadly, everything is affected by climate change. Um, whether we're going to be underwater with floods or whether we can't grow cocoa very easily because of drought everything's affected so you think about what can you do as a consumer as a constituent in all the different roles but also what can world leaders do what can local power holders do and you really reflect on that while you make your beautiful heart and then you wear it so you're really wearing your commitment and your convictions which encourages you to act and be the change you want to see in the world but it's also great because you get people strangers or people you know saying why are you wearing a green heart on your sleeve and why is it on your wrist or your arm why is it not on your front or why is it not on your bag so people 
are initiating a question, which is means it's they're much more likely to have an open heart and an open mind and want to know the answer, which is very different activism. And if you're screaming down a down a megaphone or or um, shouting with a placard saying we should believe in this, because you're creating a dialogue and a conversation. And throughout the workshops, or if you do it with our kits that you can order on the website and in different shops, it always says when people ask you what it's about, end with a question. So say, what would you stitch? on your heart and all of the resources are upcycled fabrics that are donated as well as green felt that's made from post-consumer plastic bottles so it's all ethical um, and it's a great way for people to slow down and think about how they can be part of the solution as well as others so it's very empowering so it's a real conversation starter it strikes me that you know something like that could actually be really helpful for Christians to evangelise to their friends and I know you're a Christian is that um, ever something that you've thought about or have you done any work in that area or would you have any advice for Christians thinking of using their crafting skills to start conversations with with non-Christians? I think it's case by case so you know with certain friends that they'll close off if you start by talking about Christianity but if you start you know with your heart on your sleeve if you're talking about what do you love in the world you know I think you can feel in the room with them whether it's a right place to say for me this just makes me love our world more and think about a creator god and how i want to respect it um what about you so i think it's a very gentle way um and i talk about my craftivism being gentle protest and gentleness for me is is about the fruits of the spirit mm. it's about being kind and considered um but having a tough mind and a tender heart you know being what's the the lovely quote about um wise as serpents and innocent as doves and really gently lovingly challenge people and if you look at jesus all he, most of what he did was ask questions he'd tell a story and then he'd say what do you think annoyingly he didn't give us answers on what to do even though the disciples and so many people would say what do we actually do he'd say i think you know what to do here's an example of a story of what's happened what would you do and for me that really reminds me daily to think what would jesus do i'm going to say what what I do to protect the planet and why I do it and then encourage others to say what would you, how are you going to do it so I think it's very case by case because we're all unique individuals but we also have an innate knowing I think of we're good empathy as humans I think we know where we can lovingly challenge people um, and when we're just preaching and shouting into the wind And in terms of your own personal faith, we touched on this a little bit already, but when did you know that you were a Christian? When did you sort of give yourself to God and start to follow that path? I think it's been a bit of a rocky road, really. I always, growing up, heard all the parables and all the lovely stories and thought, this is lovely. Every time I go into a church, I get get very emotional in a lovely way, but often quite teary. Um, But it's always been a rocky road I remember at school no one in our church was my age which was difficult so when my parents said you're old enough to stay in the vicarage or go to church what do you want me and my brother decided to stay and watch tv um and then at university I sort of was always on the fence a little bit um so 
but yeah, before university, I was confirmed and I felt very much as a 15, 16 year old that I absolutely believe in God and I want confirmation of that as a young adult. And then sort of sat on the fence. And then when I moved to London for um, a job, I started going to different churches because I felt there was a real hole, um, you know, a real gap in life. And, and, I always think about God daily, whether I was going to church or not. So I hopped around a few churches, found my local Church of England church that I love, love the vicar, love the community. Um, and over the last few years, I've really committed to them. You know, I travel a lot with work. I have to do lots of evening and weekend events. Um, but I'm really try and say no so I can be at church and we have communion every Sunday night, which for me is a very physical um, nourishment that I enjoy so it's over the years I'm just getting stronger and stronger I have a lovely relationship with the vicar and our new curate where I, I often show them my work and, and what I'm grappling with and questions like you're mentioning Megan you know I just did a talk in Atlanta to 600 people and it was filmed and part of me and it had the word gently behind and big lights because I asked they asked me what word do you want and it was all about gentle protest and I was desperate to talk about how this is rooted in gentleness and Christianity but I also knew that that might switch off some of the audience so I I remember talking to my vicar you know a few weeks before saying I'm really torn and the same with the book. I think as a Christian, um, I've had lots of people actually saying, are you a Christian? Because they can sort of see it from yes. the book. Um, but also people who I know are, are strong atheists who have read the book, who sadly, if it was, you know, written as if the first page mentioned my faith, then they might stop reading. So it's a difficult one. But for me, everything I learn about colours and fonts in neuroscience and psychology and the senses, all of my work, the more I research and practice it and hone my skill in activism and gentle protest and craftivism, the more it actually completely is what Jesus said. The more I'm like, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about of of being intriguing people with stories, helping people to think for themselves, being clear on your, you know, commandments and your values but then encouraging people to to think about it themselves quietly having conversations of intimate conversations one-on-one -on -one with different people of you know all different backgrounds whether it was a tax collector or a prostitute or a, you know all of those intimate respectful conversations you know in so many ways my activism is based on how Jesus was you know an amazing evangelist and messiah. I just steal what he's done and bring, put it into my work. <laughs> you talk a lot about grace in your book, yeah, um, which I thought was really lovely. Can can you explain a bit about how you how you think grace is an important part of what you do? Yeah, I um, it came about because there's a a guy called Jamie Chalmers who is famous for being Mister stitch like cross stitch um and he's been on tv and got his magazine and i one project i was doing was save the children and it was linked to the if campaign if people remember that where world leaders were um meeting in london so david cameron at the time who was prime minister was hosting world leaders and it was all about um world hunger and how can we tackle that and all of the the different 
social injustices that cause it, from climate change to tax avoidance, lots of different issues. And I worked with Save the Children to get people to stitch a jigsaw piece to say, I want to be a piece of the solution. And they gave, and which they kept, and then they gave a, their politician their local mp a jigsaw piece to say how can you be a piece of the solution to world hunger and jamie got involved who's a bit of a, a craft celebrity um and he said i hate my mp and he's not a christian he said i hate my mp i have don't agree with him on anything everything he's voted for i disagree with i don't want to give him a gift um so i said okay but it's not going to work if you just throw it in his face and tell him he's awful. That's not effective. And it's much better to encourage him to be better in his role, to use his power for good and hope that he's not a horrible person because no one is innately evil in my eyes. We can always be forgiven by others um, and we should always hope for people to change their ways and hope they can be a wonderful human being. And if it was your child, Jamie's got a daughter now, so he knows you always hope the best for your children you never write them off so I texted this to him because he was texting me in a rant so I said this is strategic and it's also loving and it's better for your own mental health to not be so angry and to think the worst of people and he texts back a few hours later saying this is really graceful activism isn't it so I text back saying oh I love that I'm going to use that term <laughs> and that links it with my faith which he knew um and I said oh I'm going to use that so he's mentioned in the chapter um and for me it is about forgiving people it's about thinking the best of people it's about making sure that you you walk humbly and you act justly and your ego isn't involved about how you want to change their mind and change the way they do stuff, but you're there to encourage them to be the best global citizen they can be and the best in their role. One campaign we did, we won the campaign. We had 50,000 staff who were on minimum wage who are now on a living wage for one big company and we were told by the chair of the board that our campaign led to that. We gave bespoke handkerchiefs to 14 board members of one of the biggest retail companies in the UK um, to encourage them to pay the living wage. And for three years before, they'd said... They had, they'd said no to any meeting. They we just wanted one meeting. Share Action, the charity, and the Living Wage Foundation asked for one meeting with the CEO, and just got nowhere. So the the boss of Share Action read my small book, which was out before my big book, and said, "We've tried everything. We've got five weeks before the AGM. Is there anything you can do?" So I had this strategy to engage the board members who were above the CEO, um, who might listen, and but in very humble bespoke handkerchiefs bought from that company um, with quotes on that were timeless from someone we thought they might like so I got craftivists who were the core customers of that company because they're going to listen to them more than if you're not part of their core customer base and said to google everything about your one board member what colors do they wear what what um what hobbies do they have are they a trustee anywhere who do you think they admire as a you know as a change maker in the world and make them these beautiful gifts alongside handwritten letters saying what you were thinking for those hours you were stitching in the gift how it made sense business wise to be in a, live, a living wage employer and how it made sense to give dignity to the staff that we wow. love um and it worked but i mention that now because 
what was important as part of that was also that we kept a respectful relationship with them. We never went in demand and change. We said we want a meeting to discuss how we think it would actually benefit you and and be more ethical to pay the living wage mm. and we want to help you with that. So mm. it was very humble. And when they did pay the living wage and they said to us that we helped them, which was amazing because normally you don't hear people saying that your campaign did change their mind, it meant that we then, we could have easily gone, look, we won. We didn't. We went back to the AGM the next year and said, well done you. I really want to thank you for what you've done and say that this is great what you've done. So it was very humble and I hope it was graceful mm, because yeah, it sounds, was... certainly sounds that way and it sounds as if you're speaking to the heart you know people's hearts as well as their it's, heads it's both so it's not one or the other it's not just a motive and it's not just showing the facts um and also we're speaking to people's hands who make the gift <laughs> and also when you receive a physical object that's small and delicate not big and brash that has words and text on it that are non-violent that are open questions the font is not capital letters with exclamation marks. It's delicate. It's often backstitched, so stitching over someone's handwriting. So it's very intimate, very personal. All of those elements of sight, touch, the words, the body language, all of that means that people engage much more openly with an open heart and an open mind, which, you know, is what I would like all activism to be. Well, that brings me to my next question. I was just going to ask you, do you think there's ever a place for aggressive lobbying or do you think it's always that change is most effective when it is through that peaceful protest that you talk about? Well, one, it's hard to measure. So Mm. you're going to get people who have facts or anecdotes of of what fits their values. I always look back to Martin Luther King. I've got his book, um, Strength to Love, which is his a collection of his sermons. I'd say his best sermons. And my copy is, you know, fallen apart. Because I probably read it every couple of months and I dip into it regularly. Um, one, because he's... With, the ha- with my hand on my heart, I do think he's the best activist that's ever lived. And you look at the evidence of what he'd achieved yeah. in terms of long-term change of laws, of policies, of hearts and minds. But also, as a preacher, he links everything back to the Bible. He also links stuff back to philosophy, to science, um, to different religions, which so I regularly tell everyone of all faiths and on, read this book, um, which is a bit of a secret evangelism for me. <laughs> um, but everything that he does is so thought out. When I look at throughout history, and now I still work a lot with the charity sector as well as art institutions and do other things, um, but everything I look at and look at how did change happen, um, it is often done quietly. It's boring conversations you have behind doors with you know the board members. We had we gave them gifts and then we had lots of boring meetings afterwards because we'd gained trust with them. My concern with violent activism is where I've seen it and I've been told by politicians and their staff and business leaders and I've seen it in reports I've read that often it can be used as an excuse not to engage in an issue because power holders will say, we can't talk to those people, they're screaming at us, they're throwing stuff at us, how could we talk to these people? 
the way our brain works is we go into fight, flight or freeze mode if we feel attacked. So it's not strategic to attack people. But I do think that we should definitely stand up for an injustice. And at certain times I will go on a march if it's very clear what we're asking for and it's making people accountable, but it's still respectful. You can still shout for change where you're not demonising people. And my, my parents taught me that really well of you can say something is effing awful but you would never label that person a bleep yeah you say the action is awful mm. but the person is a, is separate even though they might have done the action so i i get annoyed when i see people throw stuff in windows because it gives an excuse for people not to listen i get annoyed when i see marches where people shout about someone the size of someone's hands like we've had recently in a march Mm. and not about policies or what we want they're just focusing on what we don't want you know i think we need to be really strategic and so we can campaign loudly but it needs to be just as lovingly Mm. as campaigning quietly that's really refreshing to mm. hear because it's quite different from what is out there, like you say, at the moment. Yeah, and I think as a Christian, you know, for me, working in the NGO sector and I've worked for different charities, some faith-based, some not, as well as the Department for International Development, so different spaces. And for me, as soon as there was clicktivism saying saying to people, just sign this petition and everything will be fixed. One, I felt like I was treating people like robots and not having discussions with them. Or we were saying to power holders, you're awful, you need to do this, which was demonising them, othering them. You know, as a Christian, I thought Jesus never did that. Yes, he turned over the tables um, once, but he also before that told people to move the doves so that they weren't hurt. It was very controlled anger. It was never labelling anyone. It was an action to show, to get people's attention straight away. But it was saying this is wrong and this is what we should be doing. So I think we've got to be really strategic on what we use and when. We really need to treat people how we want others to be treated. Yeah. Um, and that's what, you know, our faith is all about. So when we slip into demonising or treating people as objects or just signatures, you know, for me, I can hear, I can feel the Holy Spirit saying, this is not what, what, what we've taught you, which can be annoying at times. That brings us to the end of part one. Join us again to hear the rest of my interview with Sarah Corbett. Good news! We've slashed the cost of subscribing to the UK's leading Christian magazine. Now you can read news from a Christian perspective and interviews with fascinating leaders for half the normal price. That's 12 issues of Premier Christianity magazine for less than £20. Plus, take out a subscription by the 14th of September and we'll enter you into a prize draw to win £200 worth of new Christian books. There's never been a better time to subscribe. Go to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile, here on Premier Christian Radio, with me, Megan Cornwell. Today, I'm sitting down with the craftivist and campaigner, Sarah Corbett. Let's catch up with the rest of my interview with Sarah, to hear more about the art of gentle protest, and what we can learn about activism from Jesus. It sounds to me that, you, that you've sort of been through quite a personal process yourself of coming to this 
this place of realization of what you want your art and your craft to be about yeah um and it's and it was born really through a distaste of what you were seeing out there the model that you were seeing out there mm-hmm. and the confrontation and the collectivism and at one point you became quite burned out from all of that yeah and you found that through your through your craft you it was actually helpful for you, for your for your mindfulness and mm-hmm. for your mental health can you tell us a little bit about that time yeah i mean first of all it was also learning from the big mistakes i made so i'd take part in campaigns or I'd create them and then they didn't work and I'd reflect on it um, so a lot of it and I think for all of us as human beings we tend to learn from mistakes <laughs> often than like just reading lots of things um, I'm not an artist I didn't uh, go to art school I don't love craft and I think that actually makes me a better craftivist because for me the craft is just a tool you know you don't need to love marches to go on a march you go on a march if you think that it would help a cause. So I think that's really important for people to not think that they need to um, be confident in art at all. You know, craft, I think, is really good and different to art because you've often got rules and structures to work within. Um, But for me, yeah, craft was a tool to think slowly, to engage people with gifts, to create objects that could cause conversation as street art as well sometimes or as objects online for people to share. But the power of the making I thought was incredible and it was the first thing I noticed with craft is you can't do it fast when you're sewing or doing paper craft because you might rip something or break the thread or so you immediately noticed threading a needle or doing slow repetitive actions if you do it too fast you might break it if you do it too aggressively you can um, ruin your piece of craftivism it makes you very mindful of your body so I notice straight away just separating thread and I do it in my workshops where I tell people to do it really slowly so it doesn't break and I know there's a quicker way to do it but I teach people a slow way where you separate it very slowly and while you do it you think about how's my body am I very tense have I got shaky hands I didn't notice I was burnt out until I started doing craft and I noticed how tight my shoulders were how shallow my breath was how shaking my hands were out of tiredness but out of anxiety as well I noticed that I was really impatient and I am an impatient person so I teach slow activism (laughs) um, which often we do we teach what we struggle with and it forced me to slow down which then slowed my mind down which then helped me be less reactive and react in anger to then think critically because you have the comfort of craft you're using your hands with something soft and delicate in a repetitive action which means once your hands know what to do um, you can really reflect on what's the message you're stitching everything I do has a message in it Um, it's not which is why I don't do knitting or crochet or other forms of craft because the message is really important to reflect on and those craft of thought questions I think I'm the only craftivist that creates craft of thought questions to think on while you make so it's and I always again to Christians I say it's like prayer you know often it is a discipline it's not easy our mind wanders off but if I sit with a little holding cross I hold one of them often when I'm praying to give me some structure but often I use craft as well to say okay for these few words or for this edging I'm going to do I'm going to pray about this or I'm going to use it to put myself in the shoes of the perpetrator and try and think about why have they done this have they done it because they definitely want to ruin the planet or have they done it 
if they said yes to this law or their practices in business because they don't realise that they're doing something and could I remind them? Mm. Or they don't know that there's another solution that is win-win and could I encourage them to look into that? So I use the making process to reflect, to pray a bit. But if, you know, in my workshops, some people do that, some people don't. Um, and I don't force it on people. <laughs> but the process is incredible because you're using your head, hands and heart. And neuroscientists and clinicians have got evidence of how using your hands while thinking critically empowers you rather than disempowers you. You're not just passively consuming bad news you're actively doing something using your hands in a repetitive action makes your brain more alert using two senses or more so I have lavender smells and instrumental music and grapes for people to share whilst they're making things because then it's more of a memorable experience you remember what you were thinking and what you were doing so all those elements makes it much more hopeful more positive more empowering and a slower process to make sure you do things gently um, and effectively which has been so amazing for my own mental health my own well-being um, challenged my ego to not try and fix everything and have a messiah complex which sometimes <laughs> activists can slip into um, yeah and again I just think how amazing God is to have created all these things that help us you know yeah. I use warm yellows a lot people will notice my books a lovely warm yellow color because it's a very hopeful color I don't use red because red is often used pillar box red is used um to get people to react as a for an urgent issue but it can cause chronic anger if you see it all of the time or chronic stress whereas yellow is very hopeful so all of those elements I get people to to think about while they're making um and it's transformed my activism and it's helped me win campaigns and I think if it wasn't as effective I'd probably not want to do it but you know I've changed laws I've changed business policies we've changed hearts and minds you know with this craftivists all over the world now with groups that are setting up I had over a million people watch my TED talk on activism needs introverts. But, yeah. And I get letters and emails regularly from people saying it's helped them change their habits or what they, how they do activism or think about how they use their money. Um, so if it didn't work, if it was more effective to scream and shout and demonise um, to make the world a better place, I'd be tempted. But luckily it's not. It's working so far. Yeah. If you do it well, and that's why I wrote the book, was to say, you know, you can do craftivism badly, you can do it well, it needs a tough mind and a tender heart. You know, you can make a chair that falls apart as soon as you sit on it, made from unsustainable wood, or you can make a really robust, sustainable chair. They're both chairs, but I know which one I'd rather have. Payne, we may have already covered this, Sarah, but which campaign are you most proud of? Oh, I'm going to give that annoying answer. They're all different in different ways. And what I love is they engage people differently and they all have different objectives. So, you know, the one where 50,000 people now are on a living wage is 
huge for me knowing that it hasn't it's helped people who might have had very stressful financial situations um I love the fact that our hearts on the sleeves it meant that some people went on a march they'd never been on before and it's encouraged them to stand up against injustice in the future in different ways uh one pro- project I like at the moment probably because it's newish um is our little mini fashion statements which are these mini scrolls um and you they're little paper scrolls with ribbon so it's it's paper craft and you handwrite a message in your neatest handwriting nice and slow that slow activism in your prettiest writing for the reader to find um and there's three different messages that I worked with a sustainability communication agency on so that the, they're really well thought out and the psychologies behind them and it's non-violent language. And it's all about asking who made your clothes. Were they made with joy? Were they made with pain? Let's find out, you know, be curious. And then you don't, it's the opposite of shoplifting. So you shop drop these beautiful little scrolls into pockets in shops that you think could be more ethical or if you're nervous to do that you can put it in your friends or your colleagues pockets and for people to find and it just says on the outside of the papers like watercolor paper so dimply not white it's a cream color and so quite luxury paper you have embossed scissors on it which is my logo with the thread so that people touch it and it feels special the, the ribbon is turquoise or purple or mauve, so quite luxury colours. And it says on the outside in lowercase, in, you know, ideally in joined up writing, <laughs> say, and please open me with a smiley face and a kiss. And it means whoever finds them in their own time, on their own or with others, they can open it up, read this question or this poem or this little story. And then it says at fashion revolution at the bottom to encourage them to go and find out more at Fashion Revolution, who are a brilliant campaign organisation. And what I love about that is, one, it engages people who love fashion um, and challenges them in a way that makes them curious and intrigued and hopefully want helps them want to know the story behind their clothes so they enjoy their clothes more and can challenge um, fast fashion but also we got on the home page of the BBC News website um, for it and in Huffington Post and a double page in The Guardian and um, fashion websites all over the world including Paris Fashion Week um, so it was a, a beautiful little projects that people could do that reached audiences that wouldn't normally have those narratives around challenging the fashion industry Mm. and I got one email back from a fashion journalist thanking me for doing it and said the wording was non-judgmental the pictures were beautiful and it meant that they could share it without feeling like we were against them and that they could be part of the solution to the fashion industry um so it was very different to changing a a law. It was about reaching audiences in a different way who you might not normally reach and and quietly engaging people by opening up their little scrolls. How wonderful. So you might have bought an item from a shop, brought it home to find this little scroll on, yeah. inside the pocket. Or tried it on in a dressing room and then read it and thought, OK, I'm going to ask the manager, who did make my clothes? Where were they made? And find out more and you know it doesn't say who made the little scroll or that it's from the craftivist collective it's anonymous so i'm never gonna know who found them and if it changed them unless they know that we do the project um so it's also quite humbling to 
you know, I've got to let go and surrender to that and go, it's actually up to them. I'm not going to be pouncing on them saying, did it change your mind? You know, you just, <laughs> and sometimes you do just need to sprinkle those seeds and see whether they grow between the cracks. And people can see if you've written it with love and with care and courage, people can see that in your handwriting. You can see mm. if someone's rushed it or not. And it's those very small details that are often you, not tangible, but we know innately what someone's motives are. You know, the same with given a gift. We know if someone's made us a Christmas jumper because they like making Christmas jumpers or whether they've done it because they really want you to love it. You know, that's it's those like invisible things that, again, make me see the world as more than just, you know, what we see. Yeah. So one of, one of the things I, I saw on your website is these little mini banners Mm. Um, stitched with the words be the change you want to see and you've kind of pinned them to lampposts and bus stops and outside corner shops and all all over the place and I and I, I think that for me symbolises what you do you know it's something really beautiful something unexpected that you sort of stumble across in the middle of a grubby grey street yeah. in London and it makes you suddenly just lift your eyes up and think think more positively about the world yeah um, do you do little local actions for yourself and for the causes that you care about or is it always for big organisations that you're working for? It's a real mix. So the little banners, you can stitch any message on it um, and the one on the homepage is Be the Change You Want to See in the World, which is a Gandhi quote, which people really resonate with. Um, and they're all hopeful colours and they're often below eye level again humble and for people to find and I love them and people make them all over the world on global issues on local issues really fascinating what people put on them it's a difficult one I'm constantly at the moment wishing there was more time and wishing that I had a watch that I could stop and have extra hours in the day um to know where I can be of best use and for me everything is about how can I serve the best how can I use the gifts and talents God's given me to to improve the world and also enjoy the world you know my mum is a politician now and has got a huge amount of work to do and we regularly text each other to say don't forget to enjoy this world that God's created my granddad was a bishop of Norwich and he used to um, sign everything off K-L-U, which is keep looking up, which means not just looking up in positivity, but keep looking to God and enjoying the world, which is difficult because I can be a workaholic. Um, For me, I want to make the most impact I can. And that means that often I do work with national or international organisations to spread the word, to do campaigns that I think are effective so we've just done a campaign that's ongoing now with Mind the mental health charity which is just UK focused even though we have followers and craftivists all over the world because this year um, with the general elections so last year wasn't it time flies um, it was the first time that all political parties had put mental health in their manifestos and they'd all agreed to have mental health and physical health services on equal par um, by 2021 they'd all agreed to this promise Um, so the the project is given a positive note in a beautiful um, envelope to your MP to encourage them to keep that promise and to ask them how they're going to do it because with a lot of the the um, laws that are being passed at the moment it's 
it seems to be against that support for mental health um, for people that need the support. So for me, it was very timely. We hadn't done a project before on mental health. Mind's charity, highly respected. And I said to them, the way we campaign is non-violent, it's positive, it's often quite different to charities who want very transactional activism. And they were keen to collaborate so that it fitted both of our audiences and the issue. Um, so it really depends... You know, as I've said, some projects, you can put your own issue into it and some are very specific. Um, The mini fashion statements, the little scrolls, work perfectly for fashion because you're dropping them in pockets. So my hope with the book and the kits I've got is it covers lots of angles and it also means that I get people saying, you know, how do I do this project on this issue I care about? And often they do a few of my other ones first, which not only help those issues, but help them learn how to get the process um, and see how to, yeah, to do a strategic craftivism. So I'm always thinking holistically um, and I always think about carbon emissions. So although I travel, I say no a lot to overseas. It's constantly weighing up where I got time and what I can say yes to, which I think we all do, don't we? We all say, where can I be of best use? Where does the power I have go? What are my gifts and talents? Absolutely, and it's a lifetime journey trying oh, to figure that yeah. out sometimes. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> Particularly as a, I guess your work is sort of freelance as opposed to sort of regular nine to five kind of role. Yeah, you so don't, even more so in that. Well, you don't make a lot place. of money as a craftivist, you yeah. know, unless my book sells millions. So do buy it and help. But that's another difficult one. And I never want money to distract me from my work or for me to just do work to be able to pay my rent so I'm lucky at the moment I have people that adopt a craftivist so people who give me £10 a month so that I'm on the living wage so again I can focus on important work and not be distracted by the money Um, I'm 34 now so you know I don't want to be stressing constantly about money I want to be able to go to the cinema with my friends so it is a worry but also I think as a Christian it's really the last few years that are financially unstable um, and I am you know on the living wage which is difficult to live on it brought me closer to God because every day I'm like, God, this is really hard. Am I on the right path? I'm finding this difficult. You know, if, if I end up thinking too much about money, I bring it back to, you know, God provides. Um, so it's really helped me be less of a control freak and try and trust and pray a lot. Um, mm. But it, yeah, it is very difficult. I don't, I don't want to be a freelance campaigner where I just go where the jobs are. I really want, you know, the strength in my work is I've been able to see where there's gaps and say there isn't a slow form of activism let's work on that there isn't often introverts don't feel like they can be activists without burning out so I'll do stuff on that you know a lot of my work now charities use so WWF used my manifesto which is just 10 points of what to do. And they won a campaign in Spain to protect migrant and birds. So it's just a 10-point manifesto of how to be an effective craftivist. Oh. So everything from be the tortoise, slow down, think carefully, do things small and beautiful, not big and brash, never label people. Um, it's in the book as a double-page spread. You can get it as you can download it as a poster for free on the website. Um, and it's, we've also made a beautiful letterpress print where I think there's only like 
15 left because we did 100 in a letterpress cooperative in Bristol. Oh, wow. Mm. That's so interesting. But, you know, that's not going to pay. I just Mm. did that knowing that it could be a useful tool to share with others. And again, looking at, you know, the disciples, some of them made tents for a living so that they could do their work that they needed to spread the message. But they and they relied a lot on people. I rely on my adopters, which is very humbling. Who are these adopters? Can can our readers become adopters? I need a few more adopters. I would love adopters. If you go on thecraftivist-collective.com on the homepage and on a lot of pages you scroll to the bottom and there's a little yellow button saying adopt a craftivist um and it's yeah it's a, a huge help for me to focus on doing the work knowing that I can afford to eat. That sounds to me like an interesting way to give to charity. Yeah, and I'm not a registered charity because now the lobbying act that went through with Parliament limits often the type of campaign and charities can do. So that's why I'm a social enterprise. So again, it's it's a difficult world we're living in to try and get this balance of I want to live my values and do good work, but often um, external systems um, that aren't faith-based systems are, you know, cause difficulty with it. Um, yeah, it's been a challenge to try and figure it out. If any That's adopters really are listening, I think of you weekly when I get my little donations in and thank God for you all. And what are the big social issues in the world today that are getting the craft of this collective fired up? Ooh. So I have to give a disclaimer. So the collective is a loose sense of the word. You don't join it like a member. Anyone that takes part is part of our collective. I run it as a one-woman band, um, but hopefully it would be bigger in the future. Um, but anyone can join it whether you do one project or whether you just follow us and and use some of the education in your own work that might not include craft. Um, For me personally, there isn't one issue that I'm passionate about. Um, Climate change we can't ignore, whether whether we'd like to um, or not. It is affecting us and we need to address it. And inequality, I think, is a root cause to so much that we see um so for me they're the big overarching umbrellas really in all of our work and then i think yeah finding because i'm in constant dialogue with the craftivist collective people on social media and in emails where people you can see what people are passionate and about and not um often our audience tends to be women it's not all women so that's no excuse for you male listeners not to get involved and it's of all ages um but often it's people that love aesthetics and are linked to craft so a lot around the fashion industry which i think we have a huge amount of power as consumers as people that love fashion of brands now in dialogue with people online and with their customers we have a huge amount of power um and actually i debate that that businesses and companies can change much quicker than governments and once they change they tend to not go back on themselves um whereas governments it can be a, it can be more messy so often we do a lot around um the fashion industry because there's very clear evidence and examples of what they can change and how Um, and I make sure that we link in with what other campaigns are doing so we're always complementing and strengthening campaigns we're not just coming up with stuff on our own but there aren't there aren't key issues really um 
it is all about treating people how you want to be treated. So when you see people oppressed, whether it's your neighbour or a global neighbour, that gets people, you know, angry, and they should be, and it's channeling that into something effective. Um, and, yeah, climate change. So I'd say inequality and climate change. But, as I've said, some projects you use for local issues, some for national, some for global. I'm trying to offer as much support as possible within my limited hours. But on, on that, again, because every campaign's different, so, you know, sometimes I don't say, we want everyone to join in this campaign. Sometimes it's very... Um, intimate so with the board members I had 14 people that I sort of recruited who would have lots of influence with those board members that 14 other people might not sometimes I work um quietly without people noticing I help charities with certain audiences trying to attract them or trying to work with them if they're of a political persuasion or a particular group um to try and that have influence so it's all different really sometimes I work you know we have lots of followers on social media and I'll say we want everyone to join in and then other times I don't know a certain group that will influence a certain power holder but I'll go and find them and try and build a relationship with them and respectfully say you've got a lot of power on this issue could you come in help so it really differs for every campaign and I think that's important for for people to hear is you know we've all got a certain amount of time and energy um but we can use it in different ways that are more effective than others so I am um, I'm going to be doing a, a weekly column for Lush you know the soap company for their Lush Times website called the Activist Whisperer which starts in September um, and in that I talk about how you know people are so overwhelmed I've got one person who's written in because it's a bit like an agony ant column who says I don't know where to start I'm overwhelmed um, and I remember seeing on the news you know when all of the atrocities in Syria were happening and I just started crying because I'm a crier and thought what can I do like realistically I don't live in the Middle East I'm you know a white woman living in East London what I don't have much money. I gave as much as I could to the Red Cross or other charities that um, could help with emergency relief. I wrote a letter to my MP and said, what is the government doing to protect civilians, knowing that they have to respond? And then I just had to go and do my other campaigns because that's not where my um, influence lies. So that was really hard. And I think that's really hard for Christians because we want to show love to everyone, but we also don't want to burn out. And it I regularly think about how Jesus was really brutal, actually, in terms of saying, I know there's a big group of people there that want to hear me, but I'm going to go sit on my own with God on this hill because I need to rest, I need to think, I need to recharge my batteries. And then I'm not going to go back to that enormous group that we've mobilised and preached the good news because they've already heard it. I'm going to go to a brand new part where people haven't heard it. And that brings me back to where's my power, where's my influence? I do need time to rest and be with God and be with friends and family. Um, and I think it's really important to, to know that, that you might really care about one issue, but your auntie might be the prime minister, so maybe you can whisper in her ear something else instead. And apart from your column, what's next for, for you? Yeah, so um, the book's just come out in America. 
Um, so the book Time came out. Made. It is called How to Be a Craftivist, The Art of Gentle Protest. So it came out in October in the UK. It's just come out in America. I worked really hard on the book and the feedback's been amazing. So I'm really pushing for people to read it because I think it, so far people have said it's really helped them. So I'll be pushing that. The column, I think, is something new that's not just craft-related at all. And because my background's in activism, not craft, and I regularly give advice, so I have people saying, oh, you need to write this down. Um, So I'm really excited about that weekly column. And I'd love any listeners to write in to that. You can contact me via the website and social media. Um, And then I really want to do some more research and work around gentle protest i really think that positive psychology we can bring in much more to activism and craftivism um but i need to find a way to do it in a financially sustainable way in a way that i'm not trying to do too much and so it's a difficult time at the moment to try and see you know practice what i'm preaching and think where can i be of best use um and also yeah i think there's so much potential in base in activism more on the senses and positive psychology so I really want to look into that and do more different case studies that people can learn from so I'll still be making the kits and selling them um, and the website will still be there but I'm I'm really keen to look more into gentle protest um, and I'm going to be helping a few charities with some of their campaigns um, to help them be effective gentle protesters you know it seems to me that was a big part when I was working at CAFOD and on the climate uh, campaign I'm sort of more on the comms and media side but they were always sort of very much trying to push the positive side because people respond to positivity don't they Um, rather than coercion or fear or guilt and the way our brain works is that if we have a vision for something we want our brain tries to figure out how to get there whereas if we just focus on a problem again human nature just looks at a problem and goes ah I've got to leave or you just fixated on it so it's strategic to say what do we want and sometimes acknowledge what we don't want to make it clear we do not want um you know this harmful action to happen but always having that vision you know Martin Luther King said I have a dream he didn't say I have a complaint and that's what made it powerful and made it accessible and open to everyone and non-judgmental and something we could all aim for you know Jesus talked about the kingdom of God on earth knowing that it wouldn't be on earth but we can aim for that and we can you know I'm always sad when I remember that it says in the Bible that we'll always have um, people living in poverty in the world but that doesn't stop me from aiming towards a happy healthy world where everyone can fulfill their potential. So your message is so inspiring. Well you had to join in then love. (laughs) Don't just be inspired be empowered to make a difference. (laughs) You're very effective in your your lobbying and campaigning if you get this one to uh, start crafting that will be a big win. (laughs) Or just gentle protest in different ways you know next time you hear someone say something unloving think about how you can respond in a gentle way. Craftivism isn't always the answer but I think gentle protest is. But also I think it's showing that the fun and the joy and stuff so you know when people say oh 
who, you know, oh, I like your shoes. I can say, oh, cool, they're called athletic. You know, they're super ethical. They give pensions to the workers. And I'm not saying don't buy this. I'm saying this is a really cool thing that I love my shoes more. Or sometimes with climate change, you don't mention climate change. You just say, isn't this a great thing that we've got less pollution because of these? In London, we've just got um, one pedestrian street where you get energy from the footprints on the street, which is amazing. So to anyone, whether they believe in climate change or not you've got these really positive stories of how we're going to have less pollution because of these things and surely we want that whether we believe in climate change or not thanks for listening to the profile here on premier christian radio with me megan cornwell the profile is brought to you in association with premier christianity magazine for a free sample copy of our latest issue visit premierchristianity.com slash free sample That's all we've got time for today, but if you want to hear past episodes, you can download the profile as a podcast. Just visit premierchristianradio.com slash the profile. Coming up next is Premier Playback.